Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I invite you this morning to go in your Bibles to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I trust that you are enjoying this series as we look at some of the greatest accounts of God delivering, God rescuing by his hand people throughout. We've been in the Old Testament and we will get to the New Testament, looking at some of the greatest accounts of rescue covering some of the major sections, the major areas of the Old Testament. We have so far, we've seen under Moses' leadership, we've seen God deliver his people out of Exodus, out of Egypt, the Exodus. We've seen through Moses' hand and the dividing of the Red Sea, they walked through on dry ground. Then in the wilderness, they complained and the Lord sent those fiery serpents and then he prescribed the way for those individuals to be rescued and it was a serpent on a stake look and live we have seen joshua lead in the conquest covering the mighty city of jericho and there he has been used by the lord and that covers the conquest and it brings us where we were last week to the time of the judges and we looked at how god used the no-hoper, the weakest of the weak, Gideon, to rescue his people. These are all accounts of divine rescue. Today we move into a time of the kings. It's a time during a united kingdom when the first king, his name is Saul, and the people chose, give us a king so we can be like everybody else. Doesn't that press upon each one of us this morning to be like everybody else? I don't want to, I want to fit in. I want to be accepted. I I want to be known. I don't want to be turned away, made fun of. If you do not have a copy of God's word, they're provided throughout the building in the chairs. We want you to have one. If you do not have one, that's our gift to you. As we've been going through this series, we're covering significant portions of God's word. And so it's not coming up on the screen. It's coming into your Bibles, even into an app, whatever you're using, so that you can see the context, so that you can go back to that trail that we walked down together here in this hour, and you can know where is that message? Where does that account come from? And what comes before it? And what comes after it? And what is this greatest story of redemption? Which is the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The battle is the Lord's, so our plea today is to take refuge in him. And so we come to the the title of today's message is Giants Fall. Giants Fall. Now in Israel's history, you remember this is what kept them out of the land the first time 40 years earlier. Oh, they've got giants in the land and their, their cities are walled up to the wazoo, up to the heavens. We can't go in there, 10 spies said. And two spies said, our God is over all of them. Why would we not go? Why would we disobey? So five scenes 
for our instruction today, knowing the battle is the Lord. So here's my plea. Here's my desire for the rest of my days, for my family, for you as my church family, for those of you who are tuning in online, for those of you who maybe this is your first time here today, we welcome you. Are you taking refuge in the Lord? That is the most important message I have to bring is this right here. The battle is the Lord's. Take refuge in him. Find your shelter in him. And we're going to see five scenes today for helping us our instruction, understanding, and application. 1 Samuel chapter 17. First of all, behold the unmistakable enemy. Behold the unmistakable enemy. There's no getting around this guy. Goliath of Gath, all right? He's the undefeated Philistine champion. And for the people of God, this is a serious problem. And they see him across the way. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah, and Ephes, Dimim, and Saul, and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle line against the Philistines. Verse 3, And the Philistines stood at the, on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. You get in the picture here? Two nations at war with one another. One's on one side, one is on the other. There's a valley down between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. Goliath was a clear and present danger, loved ones. They could see him there. They knew this is an undefeated champion. The Philistines fought in a gladiator fashion. That was how they would often fight. You send one, we'll send one, and we'll let one person die instead of a whole army. And whoever loses, <laughs> winner takes all. And so every day, Goliath of Gath would come out and just would taunt and threaten the people of God. Now, to help us this morning, I actually need two people. I need Russ and I need Stephen to come. All right, you guys come on up here. All right, so what we have here, let's put uh, you guys back up just a little bit. All right, so we got Stephen here. Probably, get in your mind now, probably about the size of David. He's the youngest. We're going to see that. Youngest of us all, all of his brothers. He's like, oh, David, all right. Then we have next to David, we have Russ, okay? So 5'2", 6'7". And then over here, we have 9'6", Goliath. So there's a missing, and this is the point, what I want to bring. There's someone missing here, and it's not me. It's anticlimactic if it's me. Okay, I don't figure into this account anywhere. David, the average size. And then you remember what we read about Saul, that Saul of Benjamite was head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. He's the one missing here. So in the same way that, that Russ could easily intimidate Stephen, like, come on, let's arm Russell, let's do anything. <laughs> then Russ would feel that way in the presence of King Saul as King Saul would feel that way in the presence of Goliath. And so get this in mind. When you see Goliath calling out for the servants of Saul, he would expect that it's not even calling for someone six seven. He's calling for the big guy, the king of Israel, come on and man up. And everybody else in Israel would be looking up at Saul saying, where are you at? What are you doing? All right, so enough of this. Thank you, guys. Great job. 
Thank your, thank your mothers and fathers for uh, giving me a great illustration today. Job, mom and dad. All right. Verse 5 says that Goliath had an, a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. This guy's armor alone is mind-boggling. Helmet of bronze, okay, not your average Detroit Tigers ball cap. Give anybody else a major headache. His coat of mail, picture fish scales, only his coat of mail is like a dragon's chest, 125 pounds. I mean, I was carrying a couple bricks this week, you know, just blocks. I'm like, oh man, were they 40 pound blocks? 125 pounds. That's just. That's just his armor plating, all right? Our kids for uh, vacation Bible school, they didn't wear anything like that, what James made for them, all right? It was like foam. Bronze armor on his legs, verse 6, and he had bronze armor on his leg and a, legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Verse 7, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head, to give you an idea, six. 100 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. His weapons for war, they were just incredible. Javelin swinging between his shoulders, a spear, he's coming out there. You know, he can pound it on the ground, a beam. The spearhead alone weighed about 15 pounds. That's the tip of the spear, the head of the spear, 15 pounds, and he would just... I mean, he's just going to knock you down. That's why he's the champion. No one could defeat him yet. He's undefeated. Shield bearer running out in front of him. A sword that David would borrow. We're going to come to that. We'll see that in verse 51. David's going to need that because he doesn't have one. So here the situation looked impossible. The servants of Saul are out there. Nobody's doing anything about this problem. Goliath is a major problem. It's unmistakable. They can see him. They can hear him. And day after day, day after day, morning by evening, he would come and taunt the people of God. So there was no misunderstanding. Who is the enemy here? They could see him. They could hear him. I would imagine if he walked with enough force, you could feel him. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. I don't think I can reproduce this guy's voice. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of, here we go, here's the first tag, okay? He's tagging him in his social media. Saul, tag, you're it. And he says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Verse 9. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Do you hear the same language that we heard in Egypt? 
Pharaoh, those are, those are my people. And God says to Moses, go get my people. They're mine. They will serve me, and I'm a much better master than Pharaoh is. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Saul here with his uh, army, they're scared. Goliath is over here. He either has forgotten or doesn't believe the account of what happened to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And so he's saying, hey, we want you to serve us. And by the way that it looks, this is how it's going to happen. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, now here's where he steps on real thin ice. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Send somebody. Send a man. He's the obvious enemy. Everyone is scared. In our day, we have many enemies, but here's the reality. We don't always see them this clearly. You have aspects in your life, and I have aspects in my life that will just steal away time and steal away our lives so that we're just wasting our lives instead of investing our lives for eternity. And we don't see them like this. Oh, it's just a little compromise here. Oh, it's just a little disrespect of God's word there. Oh, it's just a little belittling of the church there. It's just a little disobedience here. It's just not that big of a deal. We don't see it the way it is. Oh, it's just a little compromise on truth here. We often cannot recognize or discern who or what is absolutely against God and against us, against truth, against life, against morality and righteousness. And we think, oh, surely it's not that bad. Surely they don't mean that. But Jesus clearly says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's a radical difference between this enemy coming across the field, the enemies that come into our lives, and what Jesus says. So behind this Goliath of Gath, Gath is is an ultimate enemy that hates the people of God, just like Pharaoh. He hates God, he hates his people, and he is seeking to destroy them because through these chosen people is coming a deliverer, a Messiah. And so behind what we see, Goliath, and Israel, and the Philistines, there's a war going on. And there's a war going on in our lives. So number two, feel the unbearable desperation. Can you feel it? Can you pick up on this? Saul is AWOL. Saul's nowhere to be found in this battle. Here we see that the perspective of Israel once again is skewed. It's skewed. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They weren't just afraid. They were terrorized. So here we see the people's king was no help to them. Even though back in 1 Samuel 8, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they said, give us a king, Samuel. We want to be like everyone else. And what it says, if you you can just turn back there, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and they they cry out, and, and it wasn't that the Lord didn't plan to send them a king. He had already planned to send them a king. Samuel gives to them 
1 Samuel 8, verse 7, now appoint for us a king to judge us. And here's the issue. Like all the nations, we don't want God judging us through his prophets, through judges. Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. The Lord says to Samuel, verse 7, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. Here's the problem. But they have rejected me from being king over them. Do you hear? They're not saying, you know, we just want to be like the other nations and that was it. They were saying we reject our God. We don't want our God to reign over us. So give us a king. Samuel goes on, he warns them. He says, all right, I'm going to tell you, he's going to take all your servants. He's going to take your children and make them his servants. He's going to take all your stuff. He's going to tax you. Yeah, give us a king. Like we said, give us a king. Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. There was already a king over them, a good and gracious king. And they said, we don't want that king. And they said in verse 20, in 1 Samuel 8, that we also may be like all the nations. Now listen here, and let this ring in our ears. And that our king may judge us and go out where? You see it in your Bible? Before us. And what do we want a king to do? Fight our battles. Hmm. Now back to 1 Samuel 17. Verse 11. When Saul, that king, that chosen king, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This head and shoulders guy was scared to death. The Israelites were all broken down. They were terrorized. They were gripped with fear by the words of the enemy. They didn't have a clue what to do. Saul's included in this. When they heard this Philistine, they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. They, like their fathers in the wilderness generation, they were terrorized. Oh, no! They could only see that trial in front of them. And so they responded, like their fathers did, with fear instead of faith. Nowhere in here do we see them praying. They're prayerless. They're hopeless. And they're rendered useless by the enemy. They couldn't see God over this situation. And this is what the Word of God tells us. It comes later in the psalm, Psalm 147.10. His delight, God's delight, the Lord's delight, is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man. Understand that Israel was looking at this guy, and they were looking at his legs. And they were terrified. Did you see his legs? You ever seen, you ever seen a guy that's maybe played football or done a lot of leg workouts and you're in the gym, you know, or I'm, I'll just make this personal. I'm in the gym and I look over and I'm like, I get real discouraged. And I look and I see that guy and then I see me and I'm thinking, I need to move a few down outside back to my car. Here we go, Burger King, you know, back to the, back to the drive-thru. I can lift that, you know, all the way back. If you look, you're looking at this guy's legs and the Lord is saying, I take no pleasure in that. You're looking at the wrong place. I don't delight in that. Oh, how fast is he? How strong is he? God's not amused by that. 
We get amused by that and give out medals for it and give out all kinds of contracts for how good the arm is, the distance, how good the kicker is. And we get impressed by that and they work on that and they sacrifice for that. And the Lord says, I'm not impressed by that at all. Note, church, when it comes to athletics, it's not that they're wrong, but when they take the place in, over, above God, that's a problem. It's idolatry. The Lord doesn't delight in that. He delights in his people. Remember what God said to Samuel? I don't look on the outward appearance. I'm not, appearance. I'm not concerned with that. I'm not preoccupied with that. I look on the heart. That's what I care about. Thirdly, this third scene is be shocked. Be shocked by the unusual rescuer. Here we go again, just like Gideon. Here comes out of the non-drafted, not on anybody's list except God's, and that's what matters. The undiscovered, the undisclosed shepherd kid from the hills of Bethlehem. You want to do the lineup for that? You know, the, and now coming out of Bethlehem, and all of Israel would have said, what? <laughs> Weighing in at, excuse me, one second, how much do you weigh? 100 pounds. But this is God's chosen Savior. This is God's chosen deliverer, and he's small. But he's God's. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. We were introduced to this man at the end of the book of Ruth. David was the smallest of his family. He was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And you remember earlier in the chapter before when Samuel was sent to his house, he didn't even get the invite to the ordination ceremony for the next king. His own dad didn't vote for him. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Like, uh, this all your sons? Um, one, two, three, four, five. Wait a second. Now I've got one more. But he's out watching the sheep. He's the little guy. He's the runt. He's the scrawny. What? Go get him. Okay. So now we see this working in the brothers and how did David get elevated over us? And you see this begin to unfold. Verse 13, the three oldest of Jesse's sons had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn and next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David, verse 14, was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. Do you see all the detail here? This isn't just a story of make-believe. This is grounding in hardcore evidence to go search the matter out for yourselves to those who were living. This is the record. They could check it all out. But you see, David was the youngest, verse 14. The three eldest followed Saul. But verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. What's his mission? Hey, dad, out to the sheep, back to dad, back and forth. For 40 days... The Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. This has been droning on for a while now. This is a standoff. Verse 17, and Jesse said to David his son, 
Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and of these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands and see if the brothers are well and hopefully he's not lactose intolerant, you know? <laughs> All those of you like, whoa, no, can't have cheeses. See if their brothers are well. Check on them. Bring some token from them. All right, do you hear what Jesse is doing? He's saying, David, I want you to go to the battle and take a gift with you. Take some food with you. Take some supplies with you. And I want you to see how everything's going. I want you to bring me back word. Bring me back news of the battle. Bring something back from them. And David was obedient to his father. He was an obedient son. As a shepherd, he cared for his father's sheep. As a servant, he transported the supplies and the news to and from his father. He took care of them. He, he cared about his dad. He cared about the sheep. And now it's time for him to take these supplies from his dad to his brothers on the battlefield. Verse 19. Now Saul, and they, and all the men of Israel, so his brothers of Jesse, Saul, his brothers, all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went and Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Okay, get the imagery. David's showing up. He's got the supplies. There's the keeper, the baggage. I'm sure he was the most macho guy. He might have been a little bit like David. You know, giving him like, hey, you're out here, out back. You've got the, you're watching over the supplies. All right, good job. Hey, watch this. And about that time, you can hear whatever the war chant is going on between the armies. So the ground's shaking, the noise is loud, and David wants to go see what is this? What's happening? It's about to go down. There's about to be a fight. So he entrusts those supplies. He doesn't do what, you know, you ever have help bringing in the groceries and then you come back later and they're all just still sitting there or all over the ground and your pet is farming through the bags? Like, somebody did, you know, well, I had to use the bathroom. Yeah, well, now the dog is going to need to also use the bathroom. We got to finish the job. David is very responsible and he entrusts all these supplies and then he makes his way to the battle. Israel and the Philistines drew up. For battle, army against army, David, verse 22, left the things in charge of the keeper and the baggage and ran, here we are running again, ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. David was honorable to his father. He left the sheep with the keeper. He left the things in the care. He runs to the battle. And verse 23, and as he talked with them, he talks with his brothers. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, but here the plot twists. Here's something introduced, something is different now about this day. David heard him. David hasn't heard this guy until this moment. And David was loyal to his God. He heard the words of Goliath. This Right here in verse 23 is where everything begins to shift and change. Everyone else in Israel, including the king, all of David's brothers, all of the army's been hearing the mockery, hearing the blasphemy. It's been going on for 40 days, morning and evening, morning and evening, and not one person has done a single solitary thing about it. Except cry and shake and quiver and complain, enter the boy David. This is how God 
performs a divine rescue. Number four, embrace this common faith. Embrace this common faith. The tested and proven reliability of the Lord by David, this servant son. He looks at the entire scene, but he's looking through different lenses. He's hearing the scene. He's looking on the scene with a spiritual perspective, and that's not Saul, and that's not his brothers, and that's not anybody else in Israel, all the men of Israel. When they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, now I can reproduce these guys' voices. Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house. No more taxes in Israel. The men of Israel, there they are, filled with fear. Saul is offering incentives and rewards and sign-on bonuses. And nobody's taking it. Hmm. No more taxes. Any takers on this one? How big is the guy? Wait a second, get that pole back out. How big is the guy? Mm, no taxes? Verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. They just kept telling them, oh, you could no taxes and, and you'll be free and you get a daughter of the king. And, and, and they think that that's the big deal. Saul thought that's going to get it done. It's not getting it done. He can't think of anything new, just keeps on saying the same thing. Anybody? Anybody want my daughter? Anybody want to be tax-free? Can you picture all of Israel? I'm already married, sir. My wife said no. I'll pay my taxes. That's what they all say. Nobody has anything. Saul's offering rewards. Nobody's remotely interested in going out to fight Goliath. Paraphrase, you can't pay me enough. And I'm not sure I want to be married to the chicken's daughter. They keep on repeating the same thing. Verse 27, verse 28, now Eliab. His eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. Huh, Eliab finally found an enemy he could take on. His brother, his kid brother. He's going at him. For you have come down to see the battle. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? You got a problem with what I said, Eliab? You tell me what's wrong about what I said. Verse 30, and he turned away from him toward another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Understand what's happening. Is David is saying, what's going to be done about this? What's going to, who's going to do something about this? And introduce, you know, here comes Eliab, like, hey, listen here, you little kid brother. Where's your little sheep at? David doesn't take on his brother. He doesn't engage in that fight. He just looks to the next guy and says, you going to do something? 
How about you? You're going to do something? You okay with that giant out there blaspheming the God of the armies of Israel? Who's going to do something? He doesn't make the fight personal. Think about family relationships, loved ones. Isn't that the easiest thing to do is just get into a back and forth and completely forget the God over the situation? One very meager amen on that one. I'm, I'm not. Because that's where we live, right? Your kid, your spouse, they get under your skin, they get on your nerves, they do something that you don't like, and you or I, we just get right into it. Well, we're just like Eliab. David was filled with righteous indignation. He heard, he saw what was going on, and everybody else refused to do anything about it, and David refused to not do something about it. Catch that. He was the guy who said, I am not going back with that guy still out there doing that. That's the problem. He's the problem. What he's saying is the problem. Eliab, you're not my problem. You're a problem, but you're not my problem. He's the problem, and he needs to be dealt with. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy, disgrace, that word keeps showing up in this text, disgrace the armies of the living God? He doesn't know the good and gracious king over everyone and everything, and why is no one taking him to task? His brothers mocked him. They got mad at him. They didn't agree with him. They scolded him. The other soldiers doubted him, refused to leave their point of view. They weren't won over by him. They weren't challenged by him. They were angered. But the word begins to go out because David wouldn't relent. And he just keeps on going to the next person and the next person and the next person. Who's going to do something about that guy? Who's going to do something about Do you hear him blaspheming our God? Who, are you going to do something? You going to do something? Are you gonna, more like that. Are you going to do something? How about you? You going to do something? And the word makes its way up to Saul. Saul starts to get excited. Finally. Somebody wants to go fight the guy that I can send out in my place. This is amazing. Verse 31, when the words of David, that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. Go get him. Go get this champion of Israel. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, isn't this a role reversal here? Let no man's heart fail because of him. Take courage, king. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I mean, this is like, you ever watch Underdog? I'm dating myself here. <laughs> dun, dun, underdog, here he is. Have no fear. Underdog is here. Like, this is it. David's like, oh, king, your troubles are over. I'll go fight him. And Saul's looking at him like, this, this, this is not good. This is not what I had in mind. Saul said to David, verse 33, no, you can't. You're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Hey, listen up. Are we, get, are we expecting enough from our students? Moms and dads, are you expecting everything that should be coming that God has for your kids? Not what the world has for our kids. Are you expecting out of your children those individuals who be used in the mighty hand of God to change the world. 
God has a way of taking the no-hopers, the nobodies, the passed over, the looked over, and saying, I'll use them. Hey, listen to me, kids now. And, and I'm praying that God will give us a harvest of students. And met with the youth leaders this week, and we're praying, saying what will be done in this area to minister to kids who are getting ravaged by social media. Their thinking is getting blown over by every wind that blows from whatever influencer is sending their influence. Oh, you can't. You're just a kid. And God says, excuse me, wait just a second and watch what I do with a kid who's wholly devoted to me. Give us some kids like this, right? Make me a kid like this. Oh, you can't. You're, you can't go. This guy's been fighting since he was your age. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep. I love that one. <laughs> it was like yesterday. He's like, you know, back when I was a kid, I watched my father's sheep. <laughs> yesterday. I left them in the hand of a keeper. I'll, I'll be back after a while. But I used to keep sheep <laughs> for my father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it, that little lamb, out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. He's got Saul's attention now. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. He should have included tigers there, but he didn't. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For, here's the problem, he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Saul has nothing to say here, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the, this Philistine. And Saul said to him, go and the Lord be with you. You hear what David is saying here? It's what's in that video that intros these sermons, Lord, use me. You hear what David is saying? He's saying God delivered those animals. God is over those animals. And I had a job to do, and my father entrusted his sheep to me, and I cared about every single one of those sheep. That's where David, David was trained to be a shepherd, a good shepherd. But he wouldn't be a perfect shepherd. And he's saying, I'm willing to be used by the Lord. Then Saul says, oh, hang on a second. Before you go, David, verse 38, you're going to need some protection here. Then Saul clothed David, David with his armor, put on a helmet of bronze on his head. That guy's got a helmet of bronze. You need a helmet of bronze. Clothed him with a coat of mail. He's got a coat of mail. You need a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. <laughs> he's got Saul's sword, Saul's helmet, Saul's coat of mail, then he tried to move. Reminds me of a Peanuts cartoon in the, in the thing, and the mom's dressing up the little character, you know, to send him out in the snow. Maybe you saw that one, and he, by the time she gets done, he looks like a snowman himself, and he can't move. He's just stuck. That's David here. He's like, okay, a little help. This isn't going to work. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, 
for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David spoke words of encouragement to the king. Oh, don't worry, king, I'm here, send me. Saul, you can't go, you're too young, you're a kid. This is impossible. David, oh, no, I dealt with lions, bears, came after my father's lambs, took care of them. Then Saul says to him, all right, go, the Lord be with you. But notice what then Saul does. Saul wasn't willing to go. Saul was too afraid to go. But as soon as somebody says, I'll go, he starts saying, no, if you're going to go, let me tell you what you're going to do. Let me tell you how you should do it. Now, and this happens many times in, think about your workplace, managers, leaders, CEOs, owners of companies. It's their company. It's their name. It's their livelihood. And then in comes the people who complain, complain, complain. It's not their company. It's not their name. Sometimes this happens in ministry. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, but here's what you should do, and here's what you should do, and here's how you should do it. Saul's not willing to go, but as soon as he says, all right, David, go ahead. Now let me tell you how you're going to go do this. And Saul has to be rejected by David and say, I can't do that. I can't do things your way. So David left all that armor behind, and look at what he took. The staff the shepherd's staff. Five smooth stones. Why are those? Because Goliath had four brothers. He didn't doubt his accuracy. He knew what it was for brothers to stick up for one another when it mattered. His shepherd's pouch and a sling. This boy's traveling light. This is a light contrast going into this battle. And there he met Goliath on the battlefield, verse 41, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when he... The Philistine looked down and he saw David. He disdained him. He despised him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the field and all, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know, hey, listen up to me, brothers. Listen up to me, all the armies of Israel. Listen up, all the armies of the Philistines. You need to know this. The Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This little guy turned preacher on the field, just like we saw last week with Gideon. The Lord sent a prophet, sent the word of the, Goliath. He, he's offended. He looks on this, little, on this little kid coming out at him. He's like, what? What do you think I am? You're going to chase me with your little stick? He cursed David by Dagon. That's going to show up again. Because you remember when the Ark of the Covenant is taken later in time and it goes in. It goes over to the Philistines 
And then all of the, they put it in the temple of Dagon and they come the next morning and Dagon is down on his face and they set Dagon and all those statues back up and the next morning they come and Dagon is down, hands broken, head off. He's cursing David by his God. David makes a bold proclamation. You have earthly weapons, they're not gonna do you any good. They can't touch the God of heaven. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You have picked the fight with a God of heaven. Is that how you see the culture today? Try to redefine marriage? Try to redefine human sexuality? You haven't picked a fight with a certain right or left of our society. You have picked a fight with the God of heaven. Understand this. 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Same thing David is saying. It's the word of our living God. You're going to lose this fight today, and you're going to lose your life today. That's what David is saying to this giant. You're going to lose the fight, and you said you're going to feed me to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. I'm telling you, David says, I'm going to feed you and that whole army behind you to the feeds. It's going to be a big old buffet today because you went up against Yahweh. David knew his God, and he knew his history. He knew his Bible. This battle is about to go down. The fifth scene is this. Trust in the only unfailing God. Trust in the only unfailing God. The battle has always belonged to the Lord. So David is here trusting in the undefeated one. And in his mind, this problem's solved. I just have to go. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came near, drew near to meet David, David, here he is, running again, ran quickly toward the battle line to meet with the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. This is a lightning quick battle. This is all this 40 days, morning and evening, you know, you ever see these buildups for MMA fights or whatever and all the back and forth and the taunting and the talking and the shouting and the almost fighting and the, all of that. And in a moment, the whole buildup, and it's like, oh, yeah. And here's Goliath, like, I'm coming to the line. You know, you just picture him. And David is running to the line. He beats him to it. Bam, boom. Well, I didn't know it was that easy or I would have done it, probably Eliab said. <laughs> Nobody told me it could go down like that. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. A sling and a stone. And struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they booked it, turned tail, fled. This victory was decisive. It wasn't even close. One time in Illinois, we took our fathers and sons to a 
when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were in the home run competition. We took a whole group of dads and men and sons, and we went to uh, St. Louis, the stadium. We got there. We got into the nosebleed seats, the one we could afford way, way, way up there. And some of the kids were like, Dad, I want a hot dog. You know, okay, we'll get you a hot dog. And that night, while many of it was first inning, many of those dads were in line to get their sons a hot dog or themselves. Mark McGuire hit another home run, and I was sitting right there watching that ball just, just keep rising, keep rising, keep rising. And everyone's, you know, the whole stadium's cheering. And here comes the dad's like, what, 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 what I miss? You know, what? You got a home run and you got a hot dog. Oh, man, they missed it. And there wasn't another one that evening. That was it. You missed it, but enjoy your hot dog, son. You made it all the way down here to eat a hot dog. So quickly this fight happened. David ran. He ran to the battle. He ran and stood over the Philistine. In verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shechem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put his armor in his tent. Now, this effect was dramatic. Philistines, gone. Israelites chased, plundered. David, he goes back with some trophies. The armor of Saul, sword of Saul, and his gnarly looking head. Oh, what this thing? Oh, this thing? Oh, you know. Verse 55, as soon as David saw, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Who's his dad? Whose son is this youth? That's the question. So many times messages are given, and then it's like, be like David. Be like David. Be like David. And what giants are you facing? And be like David. That's not the point of this passage. This fits within the book and the book of books. Whose son is this? Whose boy is this? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. I thought you were my guy. You didn't know who this kid is? Why didn't you recruit him? And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Oh. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, O young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. This lesson is emphatic. Saul, hey, Abner, who is this? Who is his dad? How do we not know about this guy? Saul questions David, whose son are you, young man? David, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Here's the deal. He's looking at the next king of Israel. And this king of Israel isn't chosen like they chose their first king. This king of Israel is chosen by the God of the armies of Israel. He would conquer. He would succeed in many ways as a commander, as a worshiper, as a psalmist, as a shepherd, as a king, and a father. But listen to me now. 
David would also fail in many ways as a husband, as a father, and a king. He would end up committing adultery, uh, order the murder of Uriah the Hittite, be caught by the man of God trying to hide it all, cover it all up. But here's the difference. David confessed his sin to God. He owned his sin, and he repented of it, and he experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. David would not agree with anybody delivering a message, be like David. David would say, no thank you, sit down and trust in the God of David. Trust in the coming descendant of David, Jesus, who was born in the scrawny little town of Bethlehem. Trust in him. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? The angel announced to the shepherds in that same countryside where David left to head down to the battle, Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Matthew, writing to his countrymen, to Hebrew people, 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then two times in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 9.27, blind men figure this out and the seeing people can't. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew 20, 30, more, two more blind men. Behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, the blind guys, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, the one we've been waiting for. Have you cried out? to Jesus, the son of David. Where's our focus? Where's your focus this morning? What are we fearful about? What trials are you facing? It's natural for us to want to be like David. But listen to me, and listen to me clearly now, because here's where the gospel comes in. We're not the David in the story. We're not even the Israelites. We're not King Saul. You and me either were or you are this morning. You're the Goliath. You're the one living life as if it's all yours. You're the one living, wondering, what do I want to do? What do I think? What do I value? And you live in a blasphemous way to the God of heaven who made everything and made you. And you and I deserve to be struck down. We deserve capital punishment because we, we raise up our opinions, our assessment of self over the God of heaven. We deserve to be struck down. But instead, the son of David, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he came and he lived the sinless life. He was born of a virgin there outside of Bethlehem, and he lived a life that you and I could never live, never made one mistake. He did everything right. There's nothing wrong with him. And then he went to the cross, and he was put down. He was killed in our place so that all who repent of their sin like David did and put their faith and trust in him alone. You know what he gives? Resurrection life, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and life with no end. You and I are Goliath in the story. This has nothing to do with be like David. This has everything to do with have you repented of your sin and trusted in the, trusted in the God of David, the son of David. And his name is Jesus. Oh, take refuge in the Lord. You see the scenes here? Behold, this unmistakable enemy. You see the enemy in our day. You see what we're up against. Do you feel it? Do you feel the desperation? You see the 
the drug epidemic that's taken over these cities? Are you filled with desperation over what do we do? What difference can be made? Be shocked by the unusual rescuer and embrace this uncommon faith and trust in the only unfailing God. Will you stand with me? What's your next step of surrender? Have you experienced this unfailing love and grace of God? Or maybe today you cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. What's your next step in following Jesus, the son of David? Father, oh, thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus, the son of David. And I pray for the person, or maybe there's more than just one today, that has never, they have never cried out to you like the blind men did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. May today be their day of salvation, knowing that you hear and you answer prayer. You died so that we could live. And not just live a little while, but live forever with resurrection life. Take your word, Lord. Do what you always do with your word and bring it back. It never returns void. So you send it wherever you want to send it. And may it bring a harvest of souls for the glory of Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, and the son of man. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.